Welcome to Rethinking Youth Ministry, a podcast from the Orange Students team. Our mission is to help you, the youth leader, influence the next generation. And we do that through this podcast, other resources, and our weekly curriculum, XP3. If you'd like to learn more, check out orangestudents.com. But for now, let's get started with this week's episode. Hey, everybody. I'm CJ, and today I'm excited to be joined by Ashley. Hey! Brett. Yo, yo! Who's usually a host, but this week you're on the panelist side. Here I am. And Sarah Shelton. Oh, hey, guys. We are so excited you're joining us this week. So, Sarah, you, uh, you're you a regular contributor to uh, the curriculum that we're all a part of here at Orange uh, called XP3. But in addition to all of that, you're also a small group leader, right? Yes, that's true. At least that was the hope. That's what... Yeah. That's I'm what... like, what's a small group? <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been leading small groups? I have been leading small groups for about 10 years now. Wow. Um, I did a high school small group for four years. And now I'm leading another high school small group, not through church, but through a local like ministry counseling situation. So it's for girls who have kind of fallen through the cracks at church mm, and sort wow. of need a place to be. So mm. that's what I'm doing right now. Wow, that's awesome. And that's one of the reasons why we were excited to bring you in on this conversation because this week we're talking about how to navigate hard conversations with students in youth ministry or in any kind of ministry context like like you're doing, Sarah. Uh, because, you know, on this podcast, we talk a whole lot about how to be strategic as ministry leaders mm-hmm. when it comes to our programming, camps, worship, all the things. But in a lot of ways, all of those things we're doing is to set up one thing, and that's conversations between students and small group leaders. Right. And if we don't get that part right, then kind of everything else is right. yeah. for nothing. Uh, So that's why we really want to pause and talk about uh, navigating hard conversations this week so we can really hone in on what it looks like to get that right because you can get it wrong. Absolutely. For sure. And we usually do, (laughs) which means we don't get to walk through the rest of whatever they brought up with us Mm. because we fumbled it on the very first conversation. And then students are like, oh my gosh, why did I tell them? Mm. I don't think I'm going to talk to them about that anymore. So before we jump into it, though, so when we say hard conversations, what kind of things are we talking about here? I mean, I think, you know, we talk a lot about students owning their faith in a process of that being doubt. And so I think one of those really simple ones is when students start coming to us and they start asking questions about their faith and things that don't make sense. Or what about this in the Bible? Or why does, if this is true, then what about this thing over here? So I think that that's probably one of the clearest ones that is probably most broad. Totally. Yeah, I think too, it's a lot of the things you might expect when you hear the phrase hard conversations, like things you've probably talked about, or I know you've talked about on the podcast, you know, hard things at home, suicide, depression, you know, things going on with their parents, things going on with their friends, things like that, I think are heavy, hard conversations. But I also think to Brett's point, sometimes the everyday conversations are the hardest because you don't see those coming sometimes. So I think it's a lot of faith questions is huge. Um, I think sometimes it's just a, Hey, I don't know what to do and help me. And I'm like, I don't know what to do either. So good question. So I think (laughs) that makes it tricky. (laughs) Yeah. I think also when I think of difficult conversations, I think of those times when you're in a conversation with a teenager and you think to yourself, how much am I supposed to share or how much yeah. am I supposed to yeah. tell them? Is this okay to yeah. Yeah. Or where is the line in this conversation? Hmm. And then also conversations where you're talking to, I'm thinking middle schoolers specifically, you're thinking, 
do you know what you're saying? Yeah. Do you, mm. and do you have the words to explain what you're trying to say mm. yeah. without giving them like the words? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 And I think we're talking about things like, you know, to, to y'all's points, you know, things like divorce, things like mm-hmm. a student's friend is moving away or they have to switch schools, you know, all these kinds of things that tend to come up throughout the course of a small group leaders, uh, you know, time with students that yeah. it doesn't yeah. always have to be these crazy, heavy, heavy things that we have talked about yeah. before. Yeah. And I think that that's so important for us to understand whatever our role is. If we're, if we're youth leader, we're volunteer, we're small group leader, whatever it is, is that it's so natural for us to kind of dismiss their experience. Mm. And so there are times where they come to us with something that feels heavy to them, but to us feels like nothing. And so the way that we respond to them makes them feel, you know, not valued because like, you know, they came to us and they're sharing this thing that matters so much to them as a 14 year old, or even as a 17 year old, where us as 30, 50, 80 year olds were like, Oh, that's what you're concerned about Right. right now. Yeah. Totally. And so that just completely shuts things down. And so we have to be careful in the way that we respond to them, whether whether we're freaking out because we can't believe they just shared with us what they shared with us. And, you know, we need to be careful that we're not showing that physically. Mm-hmm. Or if we're like, oh, this is what you said you wanted to talk to me about? This is not a big deal at all. Yeah. Like yeah. maybe if you know them really well and that does kind of help them take a deep breath, maybe that makes sense. But a lot of times it just makes them feel like, oh, you don't really care how heavy this feels for me. You know, that's a great point, Brett, because, you know, what's, when we kind of talk about hard conversations or difficult things to talk about, uh, it really is kind of like what's difficult in the student's eyes, not yeah. even necessarily Yeah, it's us. not my perspective of it. Totally. Yeah. And so, so what are the things that over the past year, couple of years, or whenever you've led that have come up that you realize, oh, when you got into it, this is a really tough thing for them? I think with girls, it's dating. I think as an adult removed from that, when they're telling me like, oh, I'm so upset about him. I'm like, well, he isn't great, but I can see that so clearly, but they cannot. And so I think it's putting myself in their shoes and trying to be like, how do they see this? Get behind their eye line and think about what they're thinking because it's a huge deal to them. It's that whole idea that like a middle school couple breaks up And then she's like, oh my gosh, my life is over. I don't know how to live without him. And then the high schooler says, you don't even know what love is. And then the high schooler breaks up and he's like, my life is over. I don't know what I'm going to do without her. Then the college kid says, you don't even know what love is. When in reality, that's all they know at that point in life. And so it is, you know, it is a big deal to them. Totally. That also makes me think of a lot of times when students tell us things, whether it's about like, let's use dating as an example especially with middle schoolers, not assuming you know what they mean and you know what they're actually asking. So asking clarifying questions about what they're asking or saying before you ever respond. Because sometimes you start responding to find out that they literally were asking a totally different question. That's true. And all of that conversation was was not needed in that moment. Yes. (laughs) My favorite example of that is what Chef tells the whole thing of a kid asks his mom, what is sex? And she like breaks out in cold sweats and spends like 30 minutes talking about (laughs) sex and the kid's response is, so do I circle M or F on this phone? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That is so middle school. My goodness. 
I did not. Yeah. So that's all. You were asked. Circle M, hon. And then we'll talk about this in counseling. Context is key. <laughs> but you have to ask clarifying questions yeah. Yeah. because they sometimes they don't have the words or they're not really sure or we're not really sure what in the world they're talking about. And then we make assumptions and it's not helpful at all. And I, I have kind of a reverse example of that. Like over the past year, I had a guy who is, you know, we're talking about the end at the end of the year. Hey, so, you know, over the past year, do you feel like things have been going well or, or, or you've had a good year, bad year, whatever. And he's like, yeah, I think it's kind of been a bad year. And I was like, so why? It's like, well, my, 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 my parents are fighting a whole bunch. And so I was asking more and more questions and if we, it came up that there was an abuse situation mm-hmm. at home, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. the way he brought it up was my parents are fighting a lot. And if that's where I had kind of left, it. left that conversation or just like, you know what, parents fight, you know, there's right. just things happen, you know, it's just, there are disagreements and didn't ask those kinds of follow-up questions. Example. We would never would have gotten to right. a bigger Thing that was going on yeah because the assumption would be like oh they, they argue they're arguing totally. some or whatever there's just a stressful season but so i love that ashley mm-hmm. about asking those kinds of clarifying questions when we're having you know what could be tough conversations or hard conversations with students and it's so nerve-wracking to be a mm-hmm. small group leader sitting or standing in front of a student when they bring up a topic like that your your original question i think was what are some of the things that have come up and i'm racking my brain through all of these different conversations and scenarios I've had. And I mean, you never feel prepared Mm -mm. even when you try to prepare because, you know, when a teenage girl tells you, well, every time I stay at my grandparents' house, they have a 20 year old neighbor and he has been having sex with me. Or you have a, a middle school girl in the middle of a small group say, my dad drinks all the time and then makes me get in the car with him. Mm-hmm. And I know that these are really heavy examples, mm-hmm. but they are, these are just a few examples of things that have come up and you, you, you feel like, okay, I've prepared and now I have to think of a clarifying question mm-hmm. and I'm also in shock inside. Yeah. And so I think for like, for me, I've had to come up with a, a thing I always say when those kind of conversations come up and it's, wait, tell me more about what you mean by that. Or tell yeah. me more about that. I don't understand, yeah. which feels very safe and it works for a lot of different conversations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of where we're going with this conversation. So what are what are some of these other situations or kinds of conversations that can come up with the middle schoolers and, and high schoolers we lead? Let's just get them out on the table. Yeah, I've had girls come to me about severe eating disorders. I've had girls come to me about uh, sexual abuse in their home um, and that abuse that their parents, a parent knows about and is choosing to stay with the abuser. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've had girls come to me with things that feel little, like cheating on tests, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, you know. And I think, to your point, knowing every answer is going to be different, every protocol and response is going to be different, but pre-deciding as a leader and really thinking about this is what I'm going to say is huge because I've also really not done that well. Mm -hmm. Um, I've one time had a – we were at summer camp and I had a girl – say to me, hey, can we talk after this session? Let's go for a, a walk. And she's like the straight A, straight lay, show up every week. She's your all-star youth group kid. And so we went for a walk on the beach, and I thought she was going to tell me something really small in the scheme of life. And instead, she told me something huge, mm. and I was shocked. And instead of saying something that I had pre-decided that was wise and helpful, I literally opened my mouth, stared at her, and said, <laughs> well, that's not at all what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> 
which is dumb. Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you're amazing, Sarah. And then <laughs> what I really thought is, Sarah, you're Patted an idiot. yourself on the back yeah. and you're like, you know what? You know what? <laughs> My work here is done. And no, what I really thought is, I can't believe I just said that to this girl who t- was brave enough. Because I think that's the thing we need to remember, too, is like, for these kids to come to us yeah. is brave. Mm-hmm. It's really brave. It's brave as an adult to do that, to open up to somebody. But as a student where you don't know what the consequence is going to be, you don't know what the response is going to be, it's brave. And I lost her with that response. I watched it happen. And I thought, mm-hmm. okay, like now I have to work twice as hard to get back the yeah. bravery and the courage and the vulnerability from her because I just shut it down. Yep, It was bad. I know from maybe from a guy's perspective, there is often the confessions of like sexual stuff Mm. or whether it's pornography or what they're doing on their Mm. phones or what their parents don't know about on the computer and different things like that. And how do we how do we handle those kind of conversations in a way that isn't isn't shameful where you're responding in a way that they're just like, you know, riddled with guilt and shame, but in ways that are that are helpful moving forward. You know, it's guys and girls are, are, are wired different. And so sometimes you just never know when a guy wants to talk about something. Mm. I, I, that was always one of the things that like, I have no idea if this is going to be, <laughs> you know, I'm mad because Darren in our small group, you know, said my shoes are dumb. Um, <laughs> or if this is going to be hard conversation there. Hard yeah. Conversation. <laughs> How yeah. did that make you feel? When Chill said, out, Darren. Shoes are dumb. <laughs> Darren, I knock it off, Darren. <laughs> His shoes are fine. <laughs> but yeah, you just never know what what that scale is going to be. Are they going to come to you with something again that feels to them heavy? Yeah. I feel like I'm being left out of the group. Why do you feel like you're being left out of the group? Like that might not feel the same as there's an abuse situation at home right. with my parents, and mm-hmm. I don't know how to get out. Or you know, my dad keeps putting me in the car with him. You know, when he's clearly mm-hmm. imp- impaired. Or you know, there's you know, my my bigger brother is showing me some things that are just like I don't know what to I don't know mm-hmm. what to do about those pieces. There is that just shock moment sometimes of do, you know, hey, can we talk? Hey, yeah, sure, we can always talk. What's what's going on? And then you don't know if it's what it's going to be or on, you know, on their scale, where it weighs yeah. on that scale for them. And I think another level of complexity to these kind of conversations, and Sarah, you kind of hinted at this, is when a, there's a situation and the parent doesn't act right. the way you need them to act, meaning when a 13-year-old girl comes to you and says, I told my mom that her boyfriend has been mm. raping me. And she told me she didn't believe me and punched me in the face and broke my nose. Or when a teenager comes to you and tells you she lost her virginity Mm. and the parent is not willing to engage in the conversation or you reach out to a parent and you say, hey, you know, you have the conversation about like they're self-injuring and they're self-harming and the parent's like, no, they're fine. They don't need counseling. Mm. And so like the, the other layer of complexity to the conversation is when you feel like you don't have the support you need to yeah. navigate the conversation to help the kid. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many times I've been oh, in a situation sure. where you're like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so often these conversations start with, this is kind of the opposite side of what you're talking about, Ashley. So often these kind of conversations start with, hey, if I tell you something, will you promise not to tell anybody else? 100%. Yes. And as 
as adults who love and care about these students, we're so tempted to say, absolutely. Right. If, if that means you'll actually share it with me, then I won't, I won't tell anybody. But confidentiality is not something that we should promise right. to, 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 to students legally, to minors. Mm-hmm. We, we aren't people, especially if we're talking about, you know, the three hurts, they're hurting themselves, someone's hurting them, or they're hurting somebody else. In the state you live in, there are probably some legal mandatory reporting laws where you can't promise confidentiality, that you are responsible right. responsible legally for some of the things they share with you. But it's also an unhealthy and unwise thing. It, it does feel risky at times if mm-hmm. a student comes to you and they're emotional. Hey, if I promise to tell you something, will you promise not to tell, you know, not to tell anybody else? If you say no, I, you know, I guess there's a chance that they don't, that they don't share that they don't share those things with you. But I've just seen so many unhealthy situations totally. that arise from those where, where leaders are stuck and they have to break confidence mm-hmm. and that ruins things and that ruins things even more. I think to your point, when students come to us, like I said, it's so brave and it's really vulnerable. And I think, especially for a middle schooler, no matter what it is, there's a question of, am I going to get in trouble for this? Mm-hmm. So I think my response when a student says that to me, hey, I want to tell you something, but you can't tell anybody else. I say, great. I would love to listen to that. But I need you to understand that if what you tell me is going to, if you're going to tell me something that is about a danger to yourself or a danger to someone else, I'm going to, we're going to have to take a next step. Yeah. And so I don't necessarily say like, I'm going to have to tell because that feels right. like I'm about to betray your trust no matter what. But I at least want the seed to be in their head of like, hey, you're going to tell me this thing. There is a a trust that I'm going to give you, but we're also going to have to take a next yeah. step. And I think that I've found at least phrasing it that way, saying, hey, there's going to be a next step or we are going to have a follow-up conversation feels a little less threatening than I'm going to have to tell someone. Right. You know what I mean? Sure. I think it's such a real tension because you spend – two, three years trying to build trust with the teenager Mm -hmm. and you work hard to do that. And then they share something with you and you think to yourself, I need to tell somebody, Mm -hmm. but I know if I, when I make that step, there's a chance I'm going to break the trust. I just spent three years building Mm -hmm. and it is painful for any small group leader who cares about the kids they're leading. And so I think there really is an art to preserving trust Mm -hmm. in the midst of getting them the help they need. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think it's about being in it with them. Like, I think my approach to students when they say that, and I say, we're going to have to take a next step. I do a lot of listening. And then I say, okay, I see three or four possible next steps we can take together. Yeah. And so it doesn't feel like you are throwing them out to somebody else or pushing them off on somebody else or breaking their trust. Even if it feels like that, Mm -hmm. I think you're inviting them to kind of have a little control. Like I say, what, what net, which of these four next steps feels comfortable to you yeah. and let's do that together. Yeah, totally. A, a couple of the, the things, uh, Mandy, who I've talked about on here, who I did ministry with for, for like seven years, who's, who's so wise. One of the things that she always said was this idea of if they come to you and they say something along those lines that you say, if you trust me enough to tell me, I need mm. you to trust me enough to do the right thing with the information. Oh, that's mm-hmm. good. And so that goes back to, that, that means <laughs> that means I have to have spent the previous six months with them, 12 mm-hmm. months with them, however long I've had with them, 
proving that I'm worthy of their trust, mm-hmm. that I care about them, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that I'm in their corner, no matter what, that I'm on their team. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of going back to what you said with follow-up, her big thing was, you know, that you, and, and we'll talk more, uh, more about some of these things in, in a little bit, but that you finished the conversation with this idea of, okay, I want to give you a couple days to think about something. Mm-hmm. Is this something that you want to talk to your parents about? Or is this something that you want us to talk to your parents about? Yeah. And we all know there are some things that right. we don't have to involve parents. We're talking about the, you the know, big. we're talking about the really big things that these are not things that we can kind of keep to ourselves, but giving them those ideas to start to, to start thinking about. Mm-hmm. Because when we start putting ourselves in situations where we are the fixer mm-hmm. to their problem, or we are the keeper of, of, of their secrets because we felt like if they don't tell us, they're not going to tell anybody, whatever, whatever. I just feel like we create so many more issues mm-hmm. that could, that could help something like this spiral and could completely break, not just their trust in us, but their trust in other adults, their trust in the church, mm-hmm. and subconsciously that probably moves to you know their understanding of their trust in God, all sorts of things. I think what you said is really important. I think explaining the why you need to tell somebody is so key mm-hmm. it, because otherwise it feels like I said something, I did something wrong, and they have yeah. to tell on me basically. Yep. Right. But when you connect the dots for them, like, hey, I am so sorry that you are carrying this burden and I'm so grateful that you came to me and you trust me. But I also want to be an adult that you feel safe with because the adult in that story that you just shared about isn't making you feel safe. And I want to help you feel safe. And the only way I can do that is this way. Mm. So explain, connect dots for them so they understand how to think through it because that's, that's how you preserve the trust really. Yeah. And kind of going back to, uh, what you said a few minutes ago, Ashley, that I, I wrote down because I thought it was great. You said there's an art to this, and there really is. Like there's an art to encouraging a student to open up and preserving trust. There's an art to not promising confidentiality when you can't. And you know, like what the statement that you said, Mandy, you know, shared with you, Brett. Like that's an art statement. Yeah. There's an art to this. So kind of as we kind of really get this rolling and what this actually looks like to navigate hard conversations, I want to pause one more second and ask, so what's the danger in winging it? What's the danger in not having an art or a strategy to the way that we approach some of these hard conversations with students? I think one of the big ones is that we lose the opportunity to walk with them Mm -hmm. through whatever they're talking about, Mm -hmm. you know, in, in, in those moments, if somebody comes to us with something that they feel like is a big deal and we don't, and we're like, don't sweat the small mm-hmm. stuff. You're worried about this and you shouldn't be. Maybe sometimes that's the right response. But if we just write a kid off or they feel like they've just bitten, written off, yeah, like the chances of them coming back to us are going to be. Was, what was that? <laughs> that's them blowing us off. Oh, okay. Like, <laughs> done with this guy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right? You have a weird does small that, group, Brett. Does that translate <laughs> oh, yeah, into podcasts? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, if we're if if we wing it, there's a really good chance we don't respond well, and if we fumble that first conversation, we don't earn the right to continue it. Yeah, and I think if we wing it too, we come without the knowledge of what your church can do. Like I, you know, most of us as small group leaders are working in the context of a church that has a system set up to help you with this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And when you wing it, you don't know that. So I think coming in with some kind of knowledge of like, hey, not only do I know legally what I have to do, but I know right here, right now in our church, what's available to help you. 
I think is yeah, the legal huge. thing is the lowest. Yeah. Bar yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, Who cares? yeah, there's, there is so much more to it right. than just staying legal with right, sharing right. with, you know, the right information with authorities when right. we have to. Right. And I think from the leader's perspective, if you wing it, not only do you maybe not minister to that student the best way possible, but you actually, as a leader, miss out on the most fulfilling part of why you're doing what you're doing mm -hmm. Because you don't actually get to walk into the water with them. I think, Brett, you said that we miss an opportunity to walk with them. But I think it feels like you just stay surface level mm -hmm. if you always wing it and you never are prepared to go deeper. Yeah, totally. And I think there is a, a, a bit of a tension here when we say, hey, you, you, you don't want to just wing it because students are going to say things we don't expect. Yeah. The conversation is going to go places mm -hmm. that we don't anticipate. So there is um, an element of... You've got to work on your feet. Every time bit. that you're about to meet with any of your students, you spend the previous 90 minutes preparing <laughs> for, every, for every potential <laughs> conversation. I would have said 24 hours. Right. Okay. Full, know, full, whatever. Full, full, full. I'm more Christian. Right. <laughs> so there is an element of you have to be, you know, work on your feet a little bit. But but the idea is that, hey, we don't want to walk into all of these conversations with no, right. no prep whatsoever. So what does it look like for you, for you all to, to prep for potentially tough conversations or difficult conversations with students? What are you doing to prepare for those practically? So for me, I've got a couple different pieces that I always try to keep in mind. Number one is that my, my goal, I know my goal going into a conversation where a student is going to be sharing something heavy with me is that my goal is not to fix what their problem is. My goal is not to solve what their problem is. My goal is to help them process it, listen to them, and to help them think through what the next, what the next steps might mm -hmm. be. I think it's so easy for us to get in those situations where we feel like our, our role is, is to fix those things. Mm -hmm. um, but I always get drawn back to that idea that as small group leaders, we are not answer givers, but we are question askers. And I think that yeah. that is helpful in this sort of in this sort of context. I think it's important to remember when navigating difficult conversations that you don't need to be the master resource. Right. You need to be the master of resources. Mm -hmm. And so that's a way that you can prepare for any difficult conversation is create a document for yourself or something that has resources of like um, counselors in the area or resources um, where they can learn about something else or who you could call. And so you have done some work ahead of time so that you know how, you know how to like guide the next yeah. step in some way. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And I think, you know, to Brett's point too, like I, we sign up to be small group leaders, you know, most of us, not because we want to spend our weekend with 15 middle schoolers in a bunk, you know, right. like it's, or like, because you really love zip line. Yeah. Right? We're like, we love the blob. That's why I'm here for four years. Right. I think it's really because we love students and the heart is for them to experience freedom and to live in that freedom, whatever that looks like in freedom in Christ. And so I think the tendency sometimes, especially I'm a two on the Enneagram guys. So this is really hard for me to not take it on. Yeah. But I think that's our tendency and it comes from a good place. And I think it's okay to recognize like, gosh, I want to fix this because I love them and this mm -hmm. is painful. And so that feeling is not bad, but making yourself, like you said, the main resource or the, the cornerstone of their yeah. whatever. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what the right word is there, but I think that's dangerous. And when we don't plan, that's inadvertently what we become because right. we don't know what else to do. And yeah. so it becomes 
a lot of like, well, I'm just going to handle it. Well, that's not our job and we're not equipped to do that. So I think for me, planning and preparing some is the day in, day out. Like I think you spend four years of listening that lays a foundation, listening to the small things every Sunday, every Wednesday, and that lays the foundation for them to come to you with the big things. And in that listening, I think you really try to, I try to take note of my students, who they are, like what, what are the things they're saying little that are going to come, that keep coming up repeatedly. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like to your point, when that kid said, my parents are fighting, you could have just been like, well, that's normal. But I don't know when I have students that say little things like that over and over, I take note of it. I file it away in my head Mm -hmm. so that in a way, when they come to me later with something that's bigger, it's less surprising because I feel like I've noticed that it's happening. Yeah. Building on, you know, what Ashley, you and Sarah have just shared another way to think about it uh, as a small group leader is, Hey, you've got the opportunity to be, uh, an ignorer, Mm -hmm. an expert or an ally. Mm -hmm. So when those little things come up, like, Hey, my parents are fine or whatever. It's like, okay, you know, you can kind of just kind of pass it off and it's just kind of ignore it. You can try to be the expert, which to our point, like maybe you are a family counselor and that specializes in whatever. And that's great. Most of us are not, most of us are, you know, know, (laughs) are not those kinds of experts. So we don't need to pretend to be. So that means that the best thing to do is to be the student's ally. Mm -hmm. So that's where you are on their team and you're leading them in a direction to the best Mm -hmm. resource. Yeah. So we, we do something called orange conference every year. This last year, the theme was, uh, was it's personal and some of the content that came from that, which I love when it comes to these kind of conversations, it talks about the the principle of the ER versus the trail Mm -hmm. and how, so often we only see the ER side of these conversations. We only really pay attention to kind of that moment of the conversation. But really there's two things we're talking about. We're talking about the initial conversation Mm -hmm. and then we're talking about the rest of the journey. And Mm -hmm. already we've talked about how so often we, we miss out on the right with the rest of the journey because of the way that we mishandle that Mm -hmm. first conversation. So true. And so you know, one of the, one of the things that I love about some of that content, it talks about that, you know, in that moment. So when they come to us, when they, when they drop that bomb, whatever it may even doesn't feel like a bomb to us, almost always only say four things. You're so brave. You're courageous. I'm so glad that you told me That's good. whatever, whatever you can do to affirm their choice to share what they've shared with you. I love you you know, the, the, what you shared does not change the way that I feel about you. And it doesn't change our relationship. God loves you reiterating that same thing. And then how can I follow up? What, what, what do you feel like the next things are in allowing them to process? Because we probably have a lot of ideas of what the journey should look like mm-hmm. and totally. what the next step should be. But if, if we help them think through and if they feel like they've come up with what those next steps are, how much more likely are they to actually be willing yeah. to follow through with those rather than us saying, okay, well, we're going to talk to your parents. Totally. Uh, we need to get you in counseling. Mm-hmm. And so often that's what we do. We overtreat the first thing right. because it feels so urgent to mm-hmm. us. Yeah. And so we overtreat it and we lose that opportunity. It's like a, a gunshot victim walking into the <laughs> ER and the doctor is talking about their, you know, their financial issues. Like that's not what yeah. you do. Like you handle whatever the biggest, you stop the bleeding first. And mostly that happens just mm-hmm. by listening yeah. to them. And then you figure out and you help them figure out what does it look like yeah. for the trail, for the journey. So I love good. that you're calling it a journey because I think 
we tend to think sometimes that the hard conversation is the thing, like it's the one and done. And then we walk away from the hard conversation as a leader sometimes, or at least I do. And I'm like, I did it. Like, yes, we, we showed up, we did the thing, but really the hard conversation is the starting point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it's so much about the hard conversation, but it's also about the next six steps and the next follow-up. And as a leader, the hard conversation is really the starting point, not the finish line. Yeah. And Brett, kind of going back to the four things that you shared and kind of building on those even a little bit, one thing that practically speaking that I've found helpful is that sometimes I actually know in advance I'm walking into Mm -hmm. a tough conversation. Like I know that this kid's parents just got divorced and I, or I know that I'll give you another example because Brett, you're actually a part of it. So we had in our ministry about a year ago, a leader uh, die by suicide. Mm -hmm. And so I knew I was about to walk into Converse, lots of conversations with mm-hmm. my small group guys about it. And so a really practical thing to do is to talk to people who have gone through those tough That's things great. before. Um, so I actually called Brett because he's walked through that a couple of times and got his insight on, hey, what kinds of specific things yep. did you share? What kinds of questions did your students ask? And getting answers and kind of coming up with some thoughts to share with your students ahead of time yep. was a was a really great way for me to prepare, yeah. you know, so I've got these four things, these four kind of ideas to share with students in hard conversations. If you already know that you're going to have yeah. one, do all the other kind of prep you can. That's I was, great. I was uh, a few weeks ago, I was actually talking to a student whose parents just got divorced and I called, uh, I called my sister who happens to be a, a counselor for students, which is a little unfair, I guess, <laughs> but like on the way to the ice cream parlor to talk to this kid and hang out, I was on the phone with my sister, like, Hey, what kinds of things do I need to be talking about or bringing up or what kinds of things might he share yep. or ask? And yeah. that was a huge help and resource ahead of time to prepare instead of winging it. Yeah. yeah. I also think as adults, we've all been on the receiving end of hard conversations or we've needed to talk to somebody, whether it's a counselor or a best friend or a parent or a spouse or whoever about something hard in our lives. And I think we've probably all been on the receiving end of people who have handled that really well and mm. people who haven't. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I think about that, like, man, when I shared this thing with my best friend, she didn't respond super well to me. And how did that make me feel? Right. I never want to create that same feeling in a student. And so I think sometimes prep work is thinking about how do you want to be talked to mm, in a situation great. like that? How do you want somebody to respond? And everything that you said, Brett, is exactly how I would want someone to respond to me. Yeah. I'm going to have my next hard conversation with you. <laughs> <laughs> bum, 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 bum. Look forward to it on the next podcast. <laughs> no, that's, that, that really is great. That's super helpful, you know, tools in our tool belt, the ways we can prep for these really hard conversations. So we've talked about ways to prep and even some things to share in that specific yeah. conversation. But going back to uh, what we've talked about a few minutes ago, this is a journey. It really is. Right. Like, the initial conversation is one thing, and then we've got a lot more conversations coming after that too. Yeah. So what does it look like to prep for the journey side of this? Yeah. So I'll share three quick things uh, that I've learned. Number one, you've got to be careful about who you follow up with. As, as the leader, as the adult who's having these conversations, what was shared with you is not your story to tell. Ooh, that's um, I think that there are a lot of times where we feel, if we're really honest, we feel like because of what they've shared with us, 
we're allowed to tell whoever we want in the name of trying to help the student. The prayer request. When in reality, yeah, the whole, yeah. When in reality, we just have a really good, you know, a really good story that we're going to get some sympathy or whatever it might be. So I think that we have to be careful about who we tell the story with, but we do have a responsibility to process with someone. So if you're a small group leader out there, you know, the first probably step for you to go to is to go to somebody on staff at your church and say, you know, you don't have, even have to use names at the beginning if you don't, if you don't want to, but saying, okay, I just had this conversation with a student. Here's what I'm, here's, here's what I'm thinking the next steps are and just giving them an opportunity to process. If you have a sister who's a counselor and you can call them and say, okay, here's a situation that I just had. Again, it's not your story to tell, to go around and tell. Mm-hmm. So we have to be discerning and careful about that, but it matters for us to know who do we follow up with. There's yeah. also a legal side of that that we talked about earlier with the three hertz is that you need to know if you're in Nevada, if you're in Maine, if you're in Indiana, you need to know what the laws state regarding a minor sharing with you about someone who's hurting them, them who's hurting someone else or them hurting themselves because there are legal ramifications if we don't process those in in the right way. So if you're not sure what those are, you need to have a conversation with some folks on your staff at church. Mm-hmm. If you're on staff at a church and you don't know what those things are, it's time to reach out to a counselor, do a Google search, whatever you need to do to figure out what is my responsibility. Ask in Jeeves. You know. Ask Jeeves. Is that still a website? Yeah. I, don't. I haven't heard that in a while. <laughs> Jeeves. Okay, the next thing is starting starting with them in your next conversation and not the issue. Mm-hmm. Because what happens so often and what we try to reiterate in that first conversation is that when you shared this with me, it does not change my relationship with you. Yep. But if the only thing we talk That's about good. in our relationship with them from this point on is what they shared with us, it has changed the relationship. That's mm-hmm. good. And so how do we starting from the next conversation we have with them, help them understand that we don't just see them for the issue that they shared yeah. with us. That's great. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean side-skirting it. That doesn't mean ignoring it. If they bring it up, we can still have the conversation. But how do we help them feel as normal as possible in our relationship That's with great. them yeah. before we jump into it? And then that last piece is kind of the flip side of this is we still have to have clear conversations mm-hmm. about what they brought to us. So there's this discerning balance that we have to figure out of how do I help you not feel like you are now the issue you shared with me mm-hmm. in our relationship, but how do I also make you not feel like I'm completely ignoring it because yeah, it's really yeah. uncomfortable and I really don't want to have that conversation with you ever again. So we're going to pretend like it never happened. Yeah. The follow-up is so important and it's so tricky because if you don't follow up at all or if you follow up in the wrong way or too much or too much, it's almost confirming every fear they probably have about sharing in the first place, which is they're only going to see me as this thing or they're going to reject me because I told them this thing. So I love what you're saying about discernment in that process. I think it's huge. What keeps coming to my mind as we're talking about being on the journey with a teenager through difficult conversations and walking through difficult times is I know many times I've felt this and I know I've had to to walk with leaders through this as you feel almost responsible for some things. Like you start to kind of the lines blur between like how much you should care or how much you should carry. Mm. And I think it's really important we remember there's a difference between what you're responsible with and what you're responsible for. Yep. And so as a leader walking through these situations with students, like not 
taking the blame for choices maybe that either a teenager is making or their family is making and just knowing what you need to do with the information to help them, but you're not ultimately responsible if the parent decides to help that kid or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So as we get closer to wrapping up here, what's the win when it comes to a difficult conversation with a student? What's, What's the end game here? I think in the end, a win would be that we get all of the adults in a teenager's life who care about them on the same page. If we can get ministry leaders, school counselors, parents, and everybody supporting this teenager as they walk through whatever it is that they're walking through, Mm -hmm. that would be like in a dreamland, in my opinion, a win. Yeah, I think for me... It's two things. I think one is celebrating the win that they felt like you were safe enough to come to. To me as a small group leader, that's a number one goal is I want them to see me as a safe, trustworthy, wise person. And so that it's not a win that they had a hard conversation to Mm -hmm. share, but I think it's a win that they felt like you were a person they could talk to about that thing. But I think... Can I pause you there too? Uh And that's one of the reasons why I think this is so helpful for ministry leaders, for parents, for small group leaders, because we don't get to choose who a student's going to feel safe with. That's true. That's why all of us, you know, need to be prepped to have these conversations. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted. No, that's a great point. No, I think the other thing would be, this is hard for me as a leader sometimes, is to know that I may never see the fruit of the labor. You know, Mm -hmm. like you may never see the journey, the end of that journey for the student while you're their leader. So I think instead of trying to think long game, I think what's a short-term win. And for me, it's just like, what's the next step? If they take one next step towards helping themselves or being safe or whatever that thing is, overcoming whatever that thing is, just seeing them take one step, I'm going to celebrate that as a win. I think, I think a win is that we're helping them create healthy patterns and cycles mm-hmm. at a young age that it is appropriate and good and helpful and beneficial for them to have difficult conversations. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So as I'm sitting here, though, I can't help but think like it's so tempting to think that this is never going to be us, mm-hmm. that we're never going to have a student who comes and tell us, hey, you know, there's abuse going on or you know, I'm self-harming. It's easy to dismiss that we're ever going to have these kinds of serious conversations. Mm-hmm. So if that's us, or we feel like maybe that's our small group leaders, what do you do about that? I met this amazing small group leader at Orange Conference this year. Her name was Cindy. Shout out to Cindy if you're listening. Mm-hmm. And actually, Cindy came up and she was saying, hey, a year and a half ago, Rethinking Youth Ministry released an episode on self-harm. And I actually almost didn't listen to it because I thought, you know, I've been doing this for 10 years. I've never had a teenager tell mm-hmm. me that they were self-harming. I don't really know if my girls would ever need this. And she was telling me how she's like, I listened anyways. And about two months ago, one of my, for the first time in 10 years, one of my teenagers came to me and told me that she was struggling with self-harm. And I'm so glad I had listened to that episode Mm -hmm. and didn't, you know, kind of excuse myself out of it. And I had prepared for it. And she's, you know, teared up. And of course I tear up and she just said, and she's been in the psych ward getting the help that she needs. And, and you want to know who she invited to be her only guest Mm. to visit her? Me. It was a really amazing moment. So for you, if, if you're listening, you're like, I haven't had those conversations yet, or I haven't been part of it. I would say, don't let that stop you from preparing Mm -hmm. because 
you're investing in teenagers. And when you look at the statistics of abuse and self-harm and eating disorders mm-hmm. and the list goes on in a group of 10, you're thinking at least three. Yeah. yeah. All we can do is be as ready as we can. Mm-hmm. And all we can do is, is create the safest environment yeah. in our groups that we can. And show up. Yeah. Well, this has been a great conversation. Thank you all for for joining us for this conversation. I know it's it, there are a lot of aspects to this, yeah. and uh, it's kind of messy in some ways, mm-hmm. uh, but that's the nature of ministry. And that's why, honestly, though, it's important for us to prepare the best we can. And before we leave, we actually have one last thing we want to give you to help you prepare, and that's a crisis conversation guide. So if you actually go to our show notes, rethinkingym.org, you can download this, and it gives you some things to say and some things not to say if you happen to find yourself in a conversation with a student in crisis. And if you're a small group leader listening to this, maybe share this with you know your fellow small group leaders in your ministry, because we could all use some help navigating these difficult conversations. And the best way to share this episode with them is to send them to our website, rethinkingym.org. That's it for this week, friends. Until next time, thanks for listening.